Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we have Pastor Paula White helps us triumph over trials part two. And I am really thrilled that, uh, Pastor Paula, you um, agreed to come back for a part two because that allowed me to finish reading your book. And, um, you know, last week I said, uh, when we talked about your childhood, your nightmare of a childhood, and, of course, particularly the devastation of your father dying when you were five years old and so on, um, I, I asked you about... I asked you about how, you know, about sharing, that you share so, and then, of course, the abuse as well, a little, when you were a little older, and I asked you about sharing what it's like to share all these very personal details, intimate details, and, you know, that that was very courageous of you, and, and of course, it's all for the purpose of um, helping us to understand that there's a light at the end of the tunnel when we're going through uh, devastating experiences and so on, but now that I have finished the book... <laughs> You know, um, there was so much more, obviously. There were so many more trials and challenges and times when you uh, could have fallen apart and um, just steadfastly, after age 18, when you were introduced to the Bible, steadfastly kept turning to God time and time again. And um, so certainly, of course, as I said last week, you know, the things that happened to us when we were very young are the most impactful, but you certainly have had a, a number of impactful things after that. I have, Carol. I have, and it was uh, we discussed. It's so good to be back with you and with all of your listeners, and it's my hope that that someone can resonate or feel some kind of situation that perhaps they're going through, and maybe I can be a living epistle to let them know that there is more to life. I remember the time when I thought, will I ever love again? Will I ever laugh again? Will I ever live again? And and literally just being very numb, very feeling very dead on the inside um, from some of the trauma and, and, and trials and tragedy. And and yet I can say that, you know, I, I certainly have scars all over me. Um, maybe people can't see them. They're invisible to them, but they're, they're certainly reminders to me, but I always say when I look at a, a literal scar, I, I think I talk about this in one of the chapters that I, I was swimming one day when I was a kid and I was sitting on a diving board that had kind of fallen off and the metal part cut me pretty bad and they rushed me to the hospital and put a bunch of stitches in and I can remember the event almost like it was yesterday and how painful it was, but I look at that scar and I can touch it and poke it and move it around, et cetera, and, you know, it, the pain's not there, but it's a reminder of what happened at one time in my life. And so I can hopefully, uh, by the grace of God, help some people understand that every chapter doesn't mean the end. It might be the end of that chapter or the end of a relationship or the end of a, a really difficult time or trial, but something beautiful can come out of very difficult times if you allow it to. And for me, it, Faith played such a huge and does play such a huge part in my life. Um, 
to being able to get to that something greater. And I say something greater is not necessarily a bigger car or bigger house or better job. It might be inclusive of that for some people, but it really is a life of purpose and love and and contentment and peace and joy and the things that really at least matter to me and, and seem to make us better human beings. And let me... Um take a moment uh, to reintroduce you. There certainly will probably be people who uh, are listening to this uh, part two before they go back and hear part one. So let me reintroduce Pastor Paula White. Um, And today's show is called, called, um, uh, well, I said the title, Helps Us Triumph Over Trials. Now, and, and it's funny because we were sort of Originally, the idea was supposed to be to help people, and we'll get to it before the end of the show today, you know, the trials that we're all going through all over the world, of course, is coronavirus and so on, and we'll get to that. But, um, but your message is so much bigger than that. Um, but let me just uh, tell, uh, reintroduce uh, Pastor Paula, and she is uh, the spiritual advisor to President Donald Trump, and um, that whole part of your book uh, you know, that is just, I, I, everybody should have to read that, you know, especially all the people who put forth the fake news should have to read that and have a totally different view of President Trump. Uh, she hosts Paula yes. White today. Um, she is a renowned life coach, a best-selling author, and highly sought-after motivational speaker. And um, her book is called Something Greater, Finding Triumph Over Trials. So, um what would you, you know, before we, so I said we were going to uh, start off today with where we left off, which is approximately at age 18, after you were introduced to God, and you, everything started falling into place. But before that, I just have this question, um, because you did bear yourself, bear, bear everything, really, about yourself, made yourself so open um, and vulnerable in the book, uh, not just in the first part when you were a child, um, have you, I mean, now that it's, have you, um, have you gotten any backlash from this or have you, what has been the reception besides, I mean, of the book? No, the book? I mean, it's really interesting. It's always uh, kind of been, I hate to say my trademark, but I, I've always felt like a little bit of Shakespeare be true type thine own self. And, and I, the more that I, felt like I told my truth. I mean, it was an old saying, if it was, you heard it from Oprah, we're only as sick as our secrets, or, you know, obviously the, the things my mother went through, I didn't know until much later in life, and, and I, I always had this feeling of, like, you know, help me, am I the only one that's, that's here? And so, from the point of, of just being very authentic, that's just naturally who I am. But I'll tell you the turning point, what really did that for me. It was an, it was an, it's kind of an irony and a, a crazy thing that happened because I'm, I'm not the best cook or anything. I, you know, John, who I'm married to now, the journey, I call him Chef John. He is a gourmet foodie, phenomenal cook, et cetera. I grew up basically after my father's death and, you know, there weren't home meals or cooking lessons or, I mean, anything that even resembled a normal home life. And so my ideal of cooking was, putting cheese on top of a piece of bread and throwing it in the microwave a little bit. 
and uh, maybe mixing some jelly with some peanut butter and being creative for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> so I was invited to do this cooking show on Christian television, and I just thought, this is great. I, I'm going to be on Christian television. It was in Clearwater, Florida, and the lady, Arthelene Rippey, who was having me on, asked me, you know, bring my favorite recipe. So I actually, you know, called my mom or something and said, Mom, give me a recipe. And it was something simple like chicken and broccoli dish, and I go to do it. And I'm in the middle of doing this, and I had never really publicly shared any of my story. I was in my young 20s, and I not talked much about it. I told a few close friends, and I, I think... I never really did find out how, but I think one of my close friends had shared with Arkling some of my childhood. So we're on live Christian television. I'm sitting there talking about broccoli and chicken and Campbell's <laughs> mushroom soup and pouring it on. And she looks at me and says, so you've been abused. And I, I honestly, I was mortified. I froze. We're on live television. And Carol, I can't, I don't know why I did this. I don't know even what made me do it. it, but it's like, I just, I gushed out. It's like everything, it would be probably like laying on your couch, you know, and I just, everything started coming out of me and I just started telling it, telling my story, telling what happened to me. And I wish I could say I walked away feeling so heroic and awesome. I did not. I walked off of that show and I plummeted. I plummeted into depression. I felt shame. I felt guilt. I felt afraid. I thought, what are people going to think about me now? Um, you know, they're going to see my leprosy. Just every horrible thought went through my mind, and I, I couldn't get out of that funk. And I remember I was, I walked to the mall. It was about a day later. I was, I think, going to a food court or somewhere, and this woman walks up to me, and tears start streaming down her eyes. And she said, thank you so much for sharing your story. You'll never know how much that helped me. And the moment she mm. said that, it was like, I just went, something shifted in me. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't make it immediately easy. But the more I shared, and that was gradual, the more that I shared about, especially at that time, my childhood. And, and the more that, you know, I, I had this simultaneous thing going on always, turning to God, getting deep in His Word, praying, um, asking Him to deliver me, asking His help, while simultaneously always either reading some self-help book or going to a great counselor, a great therapist. And, and those two things have always been hand-in-hand in, hand in my life. And so opening up early on, I saw that the value of helping people so far outweighed the value of someone judging me. So I think mm. I just got set free a lot from people's opinion pretty early on because my oxygen has been if I could see one life change, if I could make a difference in somebody's life, if I could give hope to a little girl that, you know, or a battered woman or someone who's struggling with, with any of the areas that that I had walked through in life, then it's it's worth it because that's my joy. So it wasn't, um, it was hard in writing it. It was really hard because I think you have to become one with it. Some things, especially the chapter about Kristen, um, my mother's death, I was just bawling all through that as I was writing it. Some things I had to rewrite again, and and, and those emotions are, are, are very fresh. I mean, it's easier for me to talk about my childhood than it is 
the middle part. Mm. And then it was, mm-hmm. how much do I say? What do I not say? Because I believe that there's a dignity that, though it's my story, you're, you know, all of our story involves a lot of other people. And I, I always want to try to be a respectful human being, but an honest human being. And that's, you know, there, there's those fine lines that you walk through of saying, you know, what matters, what doesn't. Um, how much of my story do I involve someone else? Like when I comes to my son, I write briefly, but I say, this is ultimately his story to tell. And so I tell mm. from my perception. Mm-hmm. And then same with my ex-husband. I chose to share the things that he had shared publicly and to, you know, describe it from my detail. I talked to all my children before writing because the people that, that it mattered um, as far as how would they be with that. I wanted to make sure because, it, you know, all of our stories involve other people. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that can be complex. But the simplest part of it was I don't think we can really help someone if we aren't raw and real and authentic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, um, I mean, I guess we should, since I, we should talk a little bit, since I said we would, we would start off where we left off. Um, you do, you are very uh, generous, quite frankly, to, um, to your two ex-husbands, <laughs> Dean Knight and Randy White. Um, and me thinks there would be a lot more <laughs> that you could talk about <laughs> that uh, would not put them in as flattering a light. Um, and, uh, but, and, you know, um, of course it all flows through, uh, a woman's relationship with her father is what determines uh, what men she's attracted to in the future. And, um, because it, that fills a certain kind of, uh, need and, um, you know, clearly it was, since I, as I was mentioning before we got on, I wrote the book, um, Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them. And so when I was reading this parts about at least your, your first two exes, Jonathan, you finally met your uh, soulmate in Jonathan Kane. That was an am- amazing story, getting on that plane. Why don't, I'll let you tell that. Yeah. The story of meeting. It, it really is. And I'll tell it led up because it took me a long time after I divorced. I realized, boy... You know, and I'll tell you the process of how I got there because exactly what you're saying, Carol, is I recognized that I didn't trust myself in the ability, like, put me in a boardroom, great. Put me, you know, I study God's Word. There are certain things that I just am confident, like, you know, I'm pretty good at this. But boy, when it came to picking a man or even discerning, is, is this person safe? Are they healthy? Are they... I had no idea what a good man looked like. None whatsoever. And I, I recognize my, my picker was pretty broken. Yes. And, uh, and what's interesting also is that, you know, um, the picking, uh, your first husband was, uh, he kind of fit it. Well, they all, well, I don't know about Jonathan really, but, Certainly, Dean and Randy, uh, even though Randy was sort of a disguised version of this, but one of the, um, ty- I talk about 12 different types of bad boys, and one of the types is the um, fixer-upper lover, 
and that is mm. chosen by a woman. I'm sort of this is the, the short version of it, but uh, is chosen by a woman who has been abandoned by her father. She picks up, and your father, just for people who didn't hear part one yet, um, your father committed suicide when you were five years old, and there's a lot more to the story, but essentially he abandoned you and you felt abandoned. Right. And, um, and so when a, when a little girl is abandoned by her father, she ends up unconsciously picking a man who she feels will never abandon her. And these are guys who yeah. are frazzled frogs, who are um, fixer-upper lovers. Uh, and, you know, that's essentially what you provided for Dean. You were his, um, you know, you were the sensible part of the relationship, and you were, you know, you helped him to, um, to get more organized, to get, more, get his life together more. And then uh, what's interesting in our days now that people don't just generally have just one father, you know, their mother gets remarried and so on. So then it turns out that the next uh, man, Randy White, fits more into the category of a um, either a Prince of Darkness or a Mr. Power Mad. Um, I'll let you figure that one out later. But, um, but you know, the influence of the man, of your stepfather, the man that your, mar- your mother married afterwards. And that's what happens to so many women, you know, that they, they have these different choices based upon um, who their, so their father figure becomes. But, um, and then Jonathan Cain, and I can see we're going to be, uh, the music is going to play in a minute for us to take a break. Um, Jonathan Cain is your soulmate. Sounds like us, oh God, like he's every woman's dream, really. <laughs> and yes, uh, and yes. that was... <laughs> And, and as you describe and as you demonstrate, as you write about, and it is clearly true, that, um, that God brings people into your life at different times for different reasons, and, and that you um, end up heading towards them uh, for uh, sort of, it seems that for unknown reasons, and then of course it turns out that this was God's plan. So I'll, um, let me um, take a break now, and then when we come back, you can tell us about how God put Jonathan Cain into your life. So um, um, my guest love again, <laughs> okay, my guest again is Pastor Paula White. Her book is called Something Greater, Finding Triumph Over Trials, and when we come back, you're going to hear a beautiful love story. the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your questions that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. 
Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here with Pastor Paula White, the author of an amazing book that um, gets more amazing actually as you as you as you read it. I mean, it's amazing from the beginning, but but what gets more amazing is the connection to God, and that is really what she is trying to um, help us all to recognize that. Um, that God is there for us. But I, before we, we're going to get to all that, but, but let me, I promised you a love story. <laughs> Paul is love story. <laughs> so why don't we start with that? This amazing story of how she met her third husband, who is um, every woman's dream, really. So go ahead. It, it, re- it really is, Carol. And I've got to say, you know, I wanted family so bad. I think in our adult life, we try to fix what went wrong in our childhood. And like you said, boy, I wish I would have had my hands on your book because maybe, I mean, I, you always say these things like, maybe I would have made those mistakes, but it's all part of part of the process and part of, you know, I say, don't ask myself stupid questions and, you know, learn how to ask questions that are going to get me to a healthy place and move me forward. But after, I believe so much in the, the, the sacredness and the institution of marriage and and was so committed to that. And really, as my marriage was ending with Randy, um, I had kept believing God. Uh, and part of this, you know, part of the psychological part, part of the spiritual part, part of the value part, but I kept believing God, please give me a miracle. Let this be a blip on the radar screen. This is a really ugly chapter and a really ugly, difficult season of life. It had become abusive. That was very hard for me to acknowledge very difficult for me to even say because how can you have so much success in one area and so much failure in another area? And it was very heart-wrenching. The marriage ended, and as I said, it it took me a a lot of time, a lot of... um, I took about a year or two sabbatical. I would make some strategic appearances here and there to, to, you know, with the Word of God or on television and continued to do what I could, but I knew that I really needed to heal. I needed to reset and that I needed to become whole. And I, I focused a lot on, on myself and that's the beginning of mine and John's love story, because I think had I just left all that, those broken pieces there, it, it wouldn't have maybe happened. So there was a lot of deep work, a lot of counseling. I was going to three therapists at once, Dr. Carol. I mean, I was oh, like, wow. I, I need help. <laughs> and um, 
really did the work. I wanted that, you know, that brokenness. And, and it, it sounds like such an irony to people. And I think in church and in faith, sometimes people want to think like, well, that can just solve it all. I think it's not solvable without a deep relationship with God and without faith, but I think you need the tools, too. And I certainly did not have the right toolbox working all the time in my life. So as I did that, I, the, the more whole I became, uh, the one thing I recognized is I was not going to compromise myself or settle in life, and for me, that meant a few things. I didn't have this list with God of, oh, I want tall, dark, and handsome, or it needs to be, he needs to be this, or I want his financial that, or there's not some kind of demand list. I simply said, I deserve to be loved. I deserve to be in a peaceful relationship. I deserve to be valued. And, and I deserve someone, God, who can carry the purpose that I feel so called to in life. So that was it. I was like, if I get married, then I know it's God's best because it's His design and plan that it's better, two are better than one. But I said, if I'm not, then, you know, I I wasn't going to compromise myself. So I literally was in Tampa going to, I had a place in San Antonio, and I was looking at putting a, it was a real estate deal, looking at putting a place up on the market. It wasn't like I was speaking or I had an engagement. And so I called my executive office and said, guys, will you book me? I need to get on a flight. It's about two or three weeks down the road. I said, uh, book this. And there was a nine, a noon, and a five o'clock. I said, book me on the noon to San Antonio. So they called me back the next day. said, it's not available. I go, guys, it's Southwest. You know, surely somebody's going to drop off. They do every 20 minutes <laughs> and change their flight. That was the beauty of flying the right. direct to Southwest. And they said, it's not available. I said, well, try again the next day. And so they booked me at like on the five o'clock flight. Well, this went on and it was so against my nature. I believe in flow. Like there's a reason I think that a shut door is just as powerful as an open door. And if something is not working in your life, there's a point that you realize don't force what doesn't fit, that there's a reason for it. And I go into the detail of that in my book about how God, in a very dramatic way, taught me um, to flow with things and not to resist. But this was, I was really persistent. So the short of the long story is, I, I do this ongoing, and finally I think maybe the two or three days before the trip, I go, okay, it's just what it is, I'm going to be on that 5 o'clock. Again, there's no real logical reason except I wanted to get in a little bit earlier, get settled, etc. So I get a call the, the morning that I'm flying out, and I'm at the doctor's office, and they said, oh, by the way, we just called. There was one opening on Southwest. We've got your bag packed. Bring your car here. So if, if there's such a thing, I believe, like, I totally believe John's my soulmate and fate, and if, if there's Justin boy. Did everything come into divine alignment on this day? I mean, everything. So I get to the airport, I come up to the gate, and I can tell there's some people that are very famous. I don't know who they are, but people are clamoring, and, you know, and I just want to get into my briefcase, uh, into my briefcase and my, you know, notebook there and do some reading. My office and my ministry kept saying, Paul, you've got to get back and teach on relationships. It has been a, a thing is something I've written a lot of books about. I had, you know, taught a lot about it. And I was like, I just can't. I'm not I, I just can't. So somebody had sent me a, a book from a friend calling in the one. 
and I'd read it. I'd kind of read it through. I thought, I'm going to go back and, and read this again. And, and so I read it through again, and I was finishing it up, and I had it on the plane. And so I get on the plane southwest, which is open seating, and I drop this book. Well, this nice-looking, I say very normal-looking guy, he had on like a tan shirt that day, et cetera, no tattoos, no ripped jeans. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a wild group. I could tell, like, something's going on here. Picks it up and, and looks me in my eyes and said, what do you do? And just right like that, I would normally say I'm a public speaker, I'm an author, I'm a media personality, because when I say I'm a pastor, that's typically going to be a two- to three-hour conversation or debate. And I looked him in his eyes, I said, I'm a pastor. And we, for the next two and a half, about three hours, just begin to open up our life story. John began to tell me his story. Uh, my husband, Jonathan Kane, has played with Journey since 1981. He's written over 200 of the most iconic hits from Don't Stop Believing and Faithfully and Open Arms. So it was Journey and Foreigner and their management and the crew. Everybody was on that plane. Now, they typically fly private. They don't all fly together. But John, and this is what was so crazy and incredible about it, had a friend that had a steakhouse down in San Antonio, and they were going to do a gig. They're going in a few days early. And so... His friend said, y'all fly on in early, and I'll shut down the restaurant, and you guys come on in and, and you know, steak dinner on me. So John had convinced all the guys, instead of flying their normal private and the rest of the guys, their first class and all that, hey, let's just all get on Southwest because there's a 12 o'clock flight. So here you have all these you know, famous rock stars. And I mean, just the whole thing's crazy. And one or two other open seats. Now, I'm seeing, you know, most of them look pretty, you know, wild to me. I mean, look like rock stars. John just looked like this normal, good-looking guy. I had no (laughs) idea who he was, what he was about. So the short of the long story is he opens up. He was in a very tragic fire when he was nine years old, and uh, where 92 people had died, it changed all of code in America, actually. The world came to study it at our Lady of the Angels in Chicago, Illinois. It drastically transformed his life. His father was a very godly man, a praying man. They grew up in church. He grew up Catholic, going to a Catholic school. And his dad saw after that, John, you know, obviously was extremely traumatized and depressed and and having to try to go back and living that environment. His father moved him to the suburbs, and his dad was just a hardworking man. And I worked for a print shop and went and got John this little accordion and said, hmm. son, because that's all I could put his hands around. And he put it on layaway, I mean, which was a huge sacrifice for his dad. And realized hmm. that he had a gift for music and that music would bring healing to him. And so when John was 10, 11 years old, his dad's going around saying, my son's going to one day stand on stage and play before 10,000 people. You know, little did he uh-huh. know his son would be in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and packing out stadiums and write the number one downloaded ever song with Steve Perry and Neil Sean of Don't Stop Believing, which today, as I see it, touched so many lives of people that uh, overcome coronavirus. And I just, I tear up every time. So John's sharing his life with me. And, and at the very end, I really felt like the Lord gave me three, when I say words, not like, you know, it's just discerning a word of knowledge that there were three things I needed to share with them. 
So I did, and I always say, boy, if I was ever obedient, I was glad it was that day. So he said, I'd love to stay in touch, and I would occasionally send him a scripture, and he would send me, you know, a picture that John takes a lot of pictures of nature's and photographer and stuff, but he'd invited me to come to a journey show, and I just, it wasn't like the right timing or of everything, and then finally, you know, he kept, he said, why don't you come out to a show, and so I didn't know. I wasn't completely sure. This was just a person that I, you know, send scripture to or a word of encouragement, which is pretty normal routine for me. And I take my daughter, well, it's actually my daughter-in-law, out and just in case, you know, here's this rock star. Who knows what he's up to? And he was so <laughs> kind and such a gentleman. And he just said, you know, hi. And I kind of said, hi. And he wanted to talk. And I went, hi, bye, and enjoyed the show. Well, again, we would occasionally talk, and and uh, I guess he was listening to some of my sermons, and he called me up one day, and he said, I want to have an exclusive relationship with you. I think, well, he says it like this first, Carol. He goes, um, he goes, are you seeing anyone? And I kind of gave him a hard time. You know, I said, what do you mean? Am I having dinner with anyone? It's not the easiest thing uh-huh. for a pastor to date. And he said, uh Paula, are you, are you seeing anyone? Like, are you in a relationship with someone? I said, no, I'm not in a relationship with anyone. And I'd only had really kind of dated one person in, you know, seven years since my divorce there. And, and he said, well, I want an exclusive relationship with you. I thought, well, don't, don't you have your mind made up? Like, what does this mean? And I thought, yeah. well, let me, let me think about that. Let me pray about that. Well, I ended up going out to Pebble Beach. I called up my spiritual uh, father, who I consider and has a lot of uh, influence in my life, and my mom and some people, because part of that seven-year process was I said that I didn't trust myself for having the right picker. And I did this entire life book where psychiatrists and psychologists and pastors came in and literally, like, ripped my life to pieces. I mean, it's weeks that you just take every event and literally a whole, like, walls of just writing of everything. And then they kind of put in this book that lays out um, what your needs are, an assessment of your talents, your gifts, your needs, of, you know, your hmm. uh, glorious opus. What What is your life's purpose? And one red is dead. And this became a filter to help me either proceed Green lightning go, yellow lightning caution, or red light. And guess what was at the top of what could topple me? The very top of my life book, wrong guy. <laughs> so it was like, it's uh-huh. just the wrong guy. You know, and it was, it was the number one thing. There were like two, there were three things that, that they listed out could topple me. But the, the top of the list was wrong guy. So boy, did that, I take that one so serious. So part of my life book was create a, a, council around me, a, a community of safety. So I, I laugh, uh-huh. John, and I laugh now because I, I called and I said, John, and he knew I went to Africa a lot, and he knew that um, I had people in my life. So John not only met my mother, my kids, my spiritual father, Archbishop Duncan Williams, Bishop Jakes, and my board. There were five things that poor John, I go, he had to go through. He got on the plane and goes, I'm getting x-rayed, aren't I? <laughs> But it was really more for me to go, okay, this is right. And I'm telling you, it was bliss in the beginning, 
and it is only greater and deeper bliss. We just celebrated our five-year anniversary, our American wedding. We got married the first time in Ghana, so it's been six years for our Ghana wedding, and um, I have the love of my life. I mean, my heart is so happy. I know what it is to really be in a fulfilled, satisfying relationship that's whole, that's healthy. I'll never forget the first time he prayed for me. It wasn't like, oh, be a bow. The cherubim just say, he just gently put his hands on my shoulders and, and, and just said, God, you know, and it was so simple. I don't even remember the words. I just started bawling because I, I felt so safe. I felt loved and it, it was, it's just healthy. It's, it's everything that, I dreamed and I would write in code in my books. I wrote, I thought to myself, would I be the girl that loves the world and never receives an intimate love back? And the answer uh-huh. to that was no, that God, God would. Um, I had to do the work and I encourage people that, you know, it's not like you just heal. You've, you've got to deal with it. I said, I had to feel. I started, which those feelings mean I started healing and I had to deal with it. I had to undo a lot, redo, recognize put in all those mechanisms that life book is uh and john loved my life book that's when i knew when i when i showed him the life book and he was like this is the coolest thing i'm like oh he's the one well that's a you know and that's he, a beautiful provider story for me, he cooks for me he serves god with me i mean it's it's not like every day is perfect of course you know but we we don't really fight. I mean, we've had a couple of our fights, but John can give me a look, and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> it is, uh, it's just pretty, it's an amazing, amazing life. Well, I hate to interrupt you here, but we do need to take a break. But that is a beautiful, I mean, you know, that's a beautiful story, including the part that's really important about how, you know, you took those two years, um, to make yourself whole. I mean, we kind of hear that all the time about how you have to love yourself before anybody else will love you, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you you did the work, and um, you're an example of how this really does manifest into um, a soulmate. Well, we'll come back in Absolutely. a minute. Uh, again, my, <laughs> my guest is Pastor Paula White. Her book is Something Greater, Finding Triumph Over Trials. And we will be right back. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Pastor Paul White, the author of Something Greater, Finding Triumph Over Trials. Um, We were just talking about a beautiful story of her finding her uh, soulmate. And, you know, why don't we go into, in this uh, third and last... (laughs) Um, uh, segment, why don't we talk about um, your involvement with Trump? In other words, your, you know, um, well, that's such an interesting story also as far as how um, you became friends with him and then became called upon to serve a very important um, spiritual function. And um, and then maybe we can also go from there to a little bit about coronavirus before the end. How's that? Would love to, Dr. Carroll. I mean, it's a pretty amazing story again. Uh, when you wrap up the entire book, and there's so many, uh, I think, myriads of truth and, and principles and uh, parts of a person's life that can help so many people out there. And, and people do get fascinated with them. They're always like, well, how do you... President Trump's spiritual advisor, you know, how, how are you advisor to the uh, Faith Opportunity Initiative, and, and how did all this come about? I was, uh, it was uh, early 2000s, 19 years ago, actually, and I'm at my office, and I get this call, and my secretary says, Mr. Trump's on the line. I'm like, yeah, sure, sure. And I'd heard of him. I was doing a lot up in New York. I did a Bible study for the New York Yankees at the time. Um, we had a big church in Tampa. And, of course, uh, George Steinbrenner's daughter-in-law, uh, Christina at the time, attended my, one of my Bible studies, and so did a lot of the players. And uh, Tampa is a big sports hub, et cetera. So we had this large ministry of sports, and then I ended up having a big church up in New York. And, of course, I knew of and had heard of of Donald Trump. I mean, he was a billionaire in, in New York, and they said, Mr. Trump's on the line. I'm like, sure, sure. And I think they're having fun with me messing around. So finally, after a while, I get on the line, and his receptionist, Robin, said, uh, Mr. Trump would like to speak to you. And I'm like, oh, wow. So he gets on, and literally, he said, first words out of his mouth, he said, you're fantastic. He goes, you have the it factor. And I said, oh, sir, we call that the anointing. I think he thought, you know, it just immediately was like a conversation that was quite lengthy and easy to have. And he literally, for the next several minutes, um, 10, 15 minutes, 
he said, I've been watching you on TV. And he began to verbatim almost, I mean, literally repeat back to me a three-part series that I'd done on value of vision. And I thought to myself, our church had about 28,000 members at the time, and I thought to myself, man, he listens better than most of my congregation. I mean, I was just, I was genuinely impressed at what type of listener he was and how much he'd absorbed uh-huh. through it. And so he begins to tell me about his life, how he grew up Presbyterian and what a godly mother um, and a person of prayer and and how he'd gone to Norman Vincent Pills and the influence, and he starts telling me sermons of Dr. Norman Vincent Pill and how his dad had taken him to Dr. Billy Graham. So I start recognizing there's there's much more to this man than than I had thought initially, especially from a, a spiritual perspective. And he quite honestly opens up and, and tells me a story, almost his life story, about um, from his childhood to his first marriage and you know, his, his midlife and to where he was at that point and, and the, the role of faith and, and who his favorite preachers. I mean, I was pretty surprised he was listening to Dr. Billy Graham and, and then Jimmy Swagger. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, they both are pretty fiery as far as stylistic, but as far as message, one of them's totally the grace of God and one of them's hellfire and brimstone. And I'm thinking, wonder where I fit in there. It's somewhere like it's definitely uh-huh. more on this side. So um, as I'm listening to him speak, he said, are you ever up in New York? And I said, well, I, I am. I'm doing a Bible study for the Yankees. He said, well, why don't you stop by? So I did, and, and I got to know. I came in the first time, met some of his staff, but he said, if you're ever up here, and I was up there quite often doing a Bible study, why don't you come by? So I would stop in, and, and then one thing would lead to another, and that was he'd ask me to pray, or whether it was for him or for a family member. or he, He's pretty impromptu. He would just throw me in the middle of something and say, here, Paula, come on in. And it, you know, might be by this time The Apprentice had started, so it was like the first season of The Apprentice, and he said, here, pray over the whole crew. Here, hold a Bible uh-huh. study. <laughs> so it, it became pretty impromptu, but over the years, I grew pretty close to him and his family and to his staff, and I guess I left off an important part because the second time that I, I went in to meet him, it, just this boldness came over me, which is... The boldness is not out of character, but kind of what I said, if you didn't know like the fullness of God's plan, it would seem um, arrogant or, or out of character for me if you, you knew me, but it, it really wasn't. It was just I walked in and I looked at him and I said, sir, I said, I don't want your your money. I have enough of my own. I said, I don't want your fame. I have enough of my own. I said, I want your soul. And I walked out. And we kind of both laugh over it now because I I think he either thought I was crazy enough or just bold enough, but (laughs) Uh something was, you know, making a deeper connection then, and it was in a very spiritual way that that I felt. And, of course, like I said, it's very normal for me to pray. I, I keep these lists that I make every day of people that are on my prayer list. I pray over all my partners. I pray over everyone connected to Paula White Ministry, but then at times... Like, I'll, I'll put certain celebrities down or certain world leaders down and just make them a focal point of prayer or somebody that's on my heart. And, and you know, you, you, none of us have time to pray for everyone. You know, I'll pray general prayers, but then they become those very specific prayers. And I felt like 
when I say God spoke to me, not an audible voice, but that real strong impression you get in your spirit that said, show him who I am. Now, that's from my standpoint, not saying he didn't have a walk with God or he didn't uh, have a belief or those seeds of faith. And, you know, his, he was uh, obviously a Christian and, you know, had a walk of faith and had been planted there from, from his childhood. But it, it was really something I'd say, you know, he's not the only person God's ever done that with, with me, but it is, you know, out of a handful. You know, there's that I can identify in life that have been what I would say is an assignment. And that assignment uh-huh. I need to pray over, et cetera. So I did. And I felt that meant live as a Christian witness. And that, that uh, I go very open and in detail in the book about how, like any relationship, whether it's a spiritual one or, you know, any friendship, that how those things get tested. Because remember, I said this one wasn't about money. This one wasn't about what you have. This is about you. And maybe part of that, too, Dr. Carol, is I think we we want to we want um, a friend like we want we become the friend that we really want to have, or we become the person that I think sometimes we want, or we give love the we, way we want to receive it. And at mm-hmm. that time in my life, height of ministry and uh, you know very successful in what I'd done, and and maybe I I knew the position of having a lot of people or having a lot of things but also having a certain loneliness and responsibility that went along with that. And uh, mm-hmm. so that that became the assignment. Well, little did I ever know, or probably did he ever know, that he would become president one day. And so over the years, um, I had a large church up in New York and um, ended up buying a place there, and I talk about that, because that really was... I think the game changer, because he really knew when I said, I don't want your money, I don't want your fame, never taken a dime. Uh, the position even that I work in today, um, when I work as an SG, which is a special government employee, I don't receive a salary from, because I, I felt that that was something that I was never to take anything from. I think he gave, uh, uh-huh. he, you know, John and I said at our wedding for uh, people to donate to charity, he donated to make a wish in uh, a church. I think on when we got married, that's a that's it. You know, I've never received anything mm-hmm. from him, um, and uh-huh. those lines were really clear. But but that's 2011. He said, "Paul, I'm thinking about running for president." He said, uh, "Would you bring some people around and, and really pray?" And that was pretty normal. I think people get shocked by that, but that was not an abnormal thing to do especially by this time. And I said, absolutely. So we did. I brought some pastor, pastor friends, and I don't know, maybe there were 20-something of us there in Trump Towers, and we were praying and for almost six hours because I knew he was serious and he needed to make a, a big decision. And he it was within a time frame of, of would he run or not. And he was in there the entire time, but most of the time. And so he came back and said, what do you think God's saying? What do you feel? And I said, you know, I, I really feel that that you're assigned to this nation. I, I mean, I felt something. I wasn't quite sure what it was. I said, but I don't think it's the timing. He said, I don't feel like it is either. He said, keep praying. So we did. continued to pray, and I would, you know, occasionally set 10 people in front of him or 20 people, and it wasn't about here, let me get your vote, or here, let me convince you. It was just really about relationship. 
and him having a greater well, understanding of the evangelical community at large. And, um, you know, I wish we had more time. I'm like, um, <laughs> but I do want to get to um, uh, the part where in the end, of course, and this wasn't, you never expected this when you first began becoming friends, um, you were then asked to say a prayer at the inauguration. And I wanted to point, you, you mentioned in the book about how, um, like one time when he gave you a hug, you were thinking how he was kind of like a father figure in a sense. And at the inauguration, you talk in your book about um, stopping the storm, praying to stop the storm. I mean, we all remember that it was very cloudy skies and, and uh, when it seemed like it was just going to come down in, in um, torrents any minute. And, you know, it occurred to me, and I, I, made, I wondered if it, if it occurred to you, that that reminded me of the chapter earlier in your book where, um, where the, of your father dying the night that, you, that he left and that he ultimately yeah. then committed suicide. And it was a storm then. And, I mean, isn't it ironic or, or I mean, I guess you would say yeah. God's uh, way of doing things that then in, in the, for the inauguration, you, your, part of your job, so to speak, was to stop the storm. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. He, you know, very much when people say explain the dynamics of your relationship, and and I I try to describe that. He's very, uh, you know, like a fatherly figure in a like I say, obviously a very, very, very many Ivanka. She's one of the most amazing people ever, and Tiffany, and I mean all of his children. But how um, you know he 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 genuinely cared about. Uh, my well-being, and I think he respected a lot that I pulled myself up kind of by the bootstraps and overcome a lot, and mm-hmm. and that part uh, he definitely respects in a person's life. And on the day of inauguration, mm-hmm. that storming during, I remember just praying, you know, no, not today, like like not not now. This is not going to be a disaster day. This is going to be a beautiful day. It's not going to be a day ruined. And, and just really praying that. And, and Archbishop Duncan Williams, uh, it was going to rain on our wedding, and all the clouds were gathering, and Papa, I call him Papa, stood up and prayed, and that storm went away. And I was like, you know, I'm going to pray this storm away right now. And then there was all the responsibilities. I mean, Carol, it was so much. You know, I was working on all the faith events, and dynamics change here with Secret Service and they say, here, meet here, get people here. No, move them over to this place instead. Here, we're going to add these 20 to this event. No, move that 30 over here. So there were Uh all these different faith events. There was the private faith event for the family. There was the cathedral event. There was an all great. There were a ton of different things happening. So in my mind, I was getting very little sleep. I'd been going nonstop and you know, it just kind of all came together in that moment. I looked up. I saw the clouds gathering. I prayed the storm to stop. I looked up, and I can visually see it on the sky. I could see John sitting up there and him just beaming. I could see him smiling so big. There's a few rows up. I'm sitting next to former Vice President Dick Cheney. In front of me was uh, former President Bush and then, you know, just all the presidents, yeah. President Obama and Hillary and everybody was all it was just all there and I'm sitting there um, and I recognize in that moment I just shut everything down of the to-do list the what I've got to get to the 
pressure, the you know all the things that you're the adrenaline, everything that you're running on because you've got fifty things to do in you know ten minutes type of situation. Well, Paula and I, I, I hate. Okay, could you? We need we're sort of over our time here, so could you just finish this up? I have to say, I took it all in and I looked at that moment and I just thanked God and I realized all the things that might have been said about me, right or wrong, or even things I went through, that mm-hmm. in that moment my name would forever uh-huh. be in history. So, a hundred years from now, 500 years, that. I would be known as the first female clergy to ever pray in inauguration. And I felt well, so much joy, hope, inspiration for every well, little girl I that might have gone through it. Can, can, well, let me, let, since we need to close this up, which unfortunately I could talk to you forever, um, I, I hope you're praying, I hope you've started praying for his re-election in 2020 and so that you can, um, again, be at the inauguration and, and uh, say the prayers and so on. Prayers, not just, uh, you know, for the storm's cloud, but for this country uh, to have Amen. another president who loves this country as much as he does. Well, thank you so much, Absolutely. Pastor Paula White. Her book again is Thank called Something so much, Greater. Fi- You're welcome. Her book is Something Greater: Finding Triumph Over Trials, and I can't recommend that you read it enough. Um, it gives it will give you all hope in this time of coronavirus and in all kinds of trials that you have in your life. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 